Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon podcast. This is Katie, and today I have part three of Sarah's Mormon exit story. So we left off where she was in the temple and she was remembering how weird it was that she saw her soon-to-be husband in the temple garb and the men and the women were on opposite sides of the room. And she ended with, oh boy, little did I know what was coming next. So, buckle up. Let's go. (laughs) The rest of the endowment made me feel increasingly uncomfortable. As it continued, I remember stressing out about everything that was going on and how would I remember all these signs and tokens and what would happen if I got to heaven and forgot the handshakes. I remember feeling so much fear and anxiety. I remember the prayer circle and my husband and I and his grandparents went up to join in and I remember looking around the circle at everyone dressed up in their robes and aprons and the men in their funny baker's hats and the women with the veils over their faces and I felt so strange and out of place. And then sitting in the celestial room after going through the veil and looking around at this beautiful room and everyone dressed in white and speaking in hushed tones and saying how wonderful and spiritual it was And here I was, feeling so terribly confused about everything I'd just experienced and wondering why I didn't feel the spirit like everyone else and why I felt so uneasy inside. And then thinking, well, it must be my fault. I mustn't be righteous enough or worthy enough. Ah. The amount of times that we've heard this, this almost exact thing that people would get major anxiety and confusion and fear and panic attacks for some people. Yet they're looking around at everyone else and everyone else seems fine or is saying how wonderful it is when probably those people are also (laughs) experiencing anxiety as well. Um, Yeah, we've heard so many stories that are so similar to this. I remember going to our motel room after the temple and looking at myself in the mirror, wearing these garments, and crying to my husband because I felt hideous and ugly. I mean, I knew I was supposed to wear them. It's not like it came as a shock to me, but I wasn't prepared for how I would feel and react to actually wearing them. They were uncomfortable and itchy, and I honestly thought they were stupid. I think I preserved with them for the next, I think I persevered, sorry. I think I persevered with them for the next six or seven months until we went back to the temple to be sealed, after which I stopped wearing them altogether. I remember thinking to myself, the God I believe in doesn't care what underwear I wear. That's just silly. If God really knows what's in my heart, he'll know that I'm trying really hard to be a good person and remember the covenants I made, so I don't see the point in wearing the garments. Mm Mm-hmm. Not only that, but I really struggled over the summer with the heat and humidity, and wearing an extra layer of clothing just seemed stupid to me. I was pretty sure God would understand. I mean, that's such a good point, right? Why why all these weird, arbitrary rules? I mean, we know now that it's for control, but when you're in it, you sort of think, like, why would God care if I have some tea or a cup of coffee? Why would God care what underwear I'm wearing? Also, like, why would God care if you masturbate? (laughs) Doesn't God have more important things to worry about, right? (laughs) 
So I only attended the temple a grand total of twice. I didn't want to go back, and I couldn't understand how any of the other members could stand up in church and talk about how wonderful and peaceful and spiritually uplifting it was, go it was going to the temple. Like, what drugs were they taking? <laughs> I mean, you never know what Mormons are taking, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, it's so true. It's like something's, you feel like something's wrong with you, and then you just don't say anything about it yet. Probably, you know, Lots of people are around you feeling the same. Like, that was really weird, and I did not feel uplifted. <laughs> when I had married my husband, I'd moved from Hamilton up to Auckland, where he was living at the time, so of course I had a whole new ward to get used to again. I made a few good friends in the ward, but I also found a lot of the members really judgy and really superficial. The other women my age would all be fake-friendly on a Sunday, but if I bumped into them out and about during the week, they straight up ignored me. Mm. I soon had enough of that, and my husband and I started only attending sacrament meeting on Sunday. After our first child was born, we stopped going so often, mainly because I was exhausted all the time, and the thought of enduring three hours of church each Sunday with a baby filled me with dread and anxiety. Oh, yeah. Mid-2010, life took an unexpected turn. I remember one particular evening... It was a Sunday, and my husband and I were sitting in the living room with our six-month-old, and two of my husband's younger brothers had come over to visit. We were sitting there talking. My husband and I hadn't been to church that day, and his brothers were filling us in on the fast and testimony meeting that day. So apparently, one of my husband's friends had gotten up during the fast and testimony meeting that day and was sharing how much he was struggling with the fact that his parents had just announced to their children, my husband's friend being one of them, that they no longer believed the church was true. Now, I knew these people. They were a large Mormon family in our local ward, and I actually really admired the mother. I'd been visiting teaching companions with her previously, and she was what I thought of as the example of a great Mormon woman. So, my ears really pricked up when I heard that they had chosen to leave the church. Up until that point in my life, I had never heard of anyone choosing to leave the Mormon church. I couldn't understand why anyone would want to leave based on everything the church taught. I don't remember the total conversation in full, but I do remember one of the reasons my brother-in-law quoted was the different versions of the first vision. And I sat there feeling stunned like, what are you talking about? I'd been a member for 26 years, my entire life, and I had never heard about there being more than one version of the first vision, which is the sanitized, whitewashed version that the church bases all of its claims on. The rest of the conversation that night I have no recollection what else was spoken about. I just couldn't get this first vision thing out of my head. Ah, oh, I love when there's just that little kernel. But yeah, I didn't know. And I know Sarah didn't know. At least I'm pretty sure, um, my co-host Sarah, that there are multiple accounts of the first vision. And we actually did a whole episode on that. But yeah, you're just taught. Joseph Smith went to the woods, prayed, there was God and Jesus, you know. <laughs> Yeah, there's a multiple different versions of it that do not add up. Being a stay-at-home mom at that time, I had a lot of time to think. And this conversation really played on my mind. I thought to myself at the time, I've got to get to the bottom of this. If there are real issues that people have with the church, I'm going to study both sides of the issue so I can make an informed decision for myself. So I jumped on the internet and typed into Google, why do people leave the LDS church? And down the rabbit hole I went. <laughs> I think a lot of us know this rabbit hole, right? 
Now, if you've been through this yourself, you'll know exactly what I mean. Yep. It literally felt like I had dived head first down into a never ending rabbit hole and there was no way to stop myself from falling and no way I could turn around and get back out. Once I took that first step, that was it. I want to point out here that going into this, I wanted the church to be true. It was all I had ever known. It was what I'd been brought up with, and I'd never known any other way of life. I didn't go into this trying to prove that it was wrong. Quite the opposite. I wanted to prove it right. I took what I thought was a very scientific approach to it. I was going to research both sides to each issue, both for and against. I tried to stick with church-related resources like Fair Mormon and the church website and the Journal of Discourses, and I was really selective about other sources to ensure they weren't overtly anti-Mormon because, you know, if it's not positive about the church, it must be anti-Mormon. As a side note, I really hate how Mormons overuse the phrase anti-Mormon. I know. I've just gotten used to it at this point that I'm labeled anti-Mormon, and I guess technically... I guess I technically am. Um, it's just, oh, sorry, noise outside. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. There was just a loud noise outside and I didn't want that to interfere. But um, I guess technically I'm, I'm against a lot of the things that the church teaches and the harm that it causes. But the term anti-Mormon is used to, uh, to cause people that are in the Mormon church just to not listen to you, you know. We're um, influenced by Satan, as they say. Okay. I started watching YouTube videos that others had posted about the reasons they had left the church, and can I just say, my mind was blown. As a Mormon growing up, I'd always thought that people stopped going to church because they were, one, lazy, two, they weren't righteous enough, or three, because they'd sinned. <laughs> yep, that's the classic. And she says, it's really embarrassing for me to admit that. Uh, we all, we all thought that. So as I was watching these videos and listening to the reasons why these people had left the church, I found myself thinking, the reasons they give for leaving really make sense. I started making a list of the issues I was coming across, the first being the different versions of the first vision of Joseph Smith. And I was like, I'm going to make a list of all these issues that I come across and I'm going to prove them all wrong. Ha ha ha, little did I know where that would take me. <laughs> As I was listening and reading to all these accounts of people who had left the church, I started adding issues to my list, and my list kept getting longer and longer and longer. And I was trying to research and look in depth into all these issues at the same time, but it just kept getting bigger and more overwhelming, like the snowball effect. And all of a sudden, what started as what I thought was one little issue that I was going to get to the bottom of had suddenly grown into this enormous, overwhelming, and very frightening prospect that in actual fact, these issues, these quote-unquote anti-Mormon lies, were in fact true. I just want to jump in here with a little side note to mention that at the time I was researching these issues with the church, this was in 2010, so this was two years before the CES letter came out. I remember when Jeremy Reynolds published the CES letter in 2012, and I remember reading it for the first time and thinking, wow, he's done an amazing job of summarizing all the issues with the church that I had felt so overwhelmed by when I was researching these issues for myself. It's an amazing resource and, and summarizes a lot of the major issues with the church really nicely. 
So I'm not going to go into great depth about each of the issues I discovered about the church because that's not the reason I want to share my story, but some of the main reasons I had included the different versions of the first vision, the Book of Abraham, the Kinderhook Plates, the translation of the Book of Mormon, not to mention the many incongruencies found within the Book of Mormon, polygamy, and Joseph Smith's 34 wives, just to name a few. Searching for the truth was very important to me, and this need to know the answers absolutely consumed me. I spent hours poring over information and agonizing about what I was learning, and I knew that I could not ignore this new information. The cognitive dissonance was strong, and my mind was a jumble as I tried so hard to make sense of what I thought I knew based on a lifetime in the church and this new information. It didn't match up. It didn't make sense. And try as I might, I couldn't make it make sense in my mind. I desperately wanted the church to be true. I wanted it all to be true and make sense, but it didn't. In my mind, the church couldn't be true if all of this new information I had learned was true, but I couldn't dismiss this new information because it was solid, it was based on facts, not just somebody's opinions. There was scientific proof. There was DNA proof. You can't make this stuff up. I had prayed so hard for the answer to my dilemma. I remember thinking, if the church is true, then why doesn't this all make sense? But when I finally gave myself permission to start thinking, well, perhaps the church isn't true. And let me tell you, that was a terrifying thought to have. But when I finally started saying that to myself, well, based on this new knowledge I have, the church can't possibly be true. That is when I finally felt peace. That is when the mental gymnastics stopped and my mind quieted and I felt at peace. I think I knew the answer before I wanted to accept it, and that was that the Mormon church was based on lies. It wasn't truth, as I'd been led to believe my entire life, and that for me was devastating. I felt like my entire life had been turned upside down. The reality I had based my life around was an illusion. It reminded me of the movie The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy pulled back the curtain and revealed the man behind the curtain. So here I was, faced with this uncomfortable truth, and I didn't know where to turn. What did I do next? I was afraid to speak to my husband about it. I remember testing the waters with him one evening, soon after reaching my conclusion that the church wasn't true, as we were getting ready for bed. And I asked him, what if the church isn't true? Would you want to know? And obviously, I was really hoping he'd say yes, but he didn't. And so I left it at that and kept it to myself for a long time. I was hesitant to contact his friend's mom, the one who had left the church, because I knew my husband wouldn't take kindly to that. Being Mormon, you're taught to avoid what they call apostates because they're anti-Mormon and could lead you astray. Yup. I rang and spoke to my parents at one point. My dad, who was the most active of my parents, tried to encourage me to accept that some things in life don't make sense to us now, but God has all knowledge and will reveal the truth to us in time, something along those lines. Ugh. My mom actually revealed to me that she had her own issues with various things in the church herself, such as polygamy in the temple, and she was a lot more sympathetic and I guess you could say supportive of the situation I'd found myself in. Their main message to me, however, was that they loved me no matter what conclusion I reached and they just wanted me to be happy. Aww. So the fact that my parents hadn't flipped out or disowned me, which I didn't think they would, seeing as my brother had stopped going to church many years previously and considered himself atheist, and my sister, although she still believed in the teachings of the church, had also been inactive for many years. I remember briefly speaking with my siblings about it too at some point, but they had their own reasons for not going or not believing, and their experiences really differed from my own. So I really didn't know who to talk to or where to turn at this point. I felt very isolated and very much alone. 
So I jumped on the internet once again and joined some online support groups for ex and post Mormons. And finally, through my interactions in these groups, I started to feel slightly less alone and less like I was going crazy. And I think it's so easy to feel like you're the only person going through this experience and being overwhelmed by all these intense emotions. And when you find out there are others out there who know exactly what you're going through, it was just so amazing. It was really comforting and really validating to be able to talk to these people about what I was going through and to learn from others what to do or what not to do next. Because that was the question, what do I do next? I knew the church wasn't true. That much made sense to me. What I didn't know was what do I do next? I knew that I couldn't try to forget it. That's not the way I work. I couldn't carry on and pretend that nothing was wrong because I'm a terrible liar and I just couldn't do it. I hadn't been to church for a little while, and when I reached my decision about the church, mainly because I had a six-month-old and was really struggling with my energy levels at that time, so I kind of used that as my excuse for not going to church, but I knew I'd have to eventually tell my husband. One thing I had not done up to this point was approach any of the church leaders to speak with them about my discovery, nor did I want to. I had already watched enough videos on YouTube and read enough accounts of others in the online support groups who had done this and been unsatisfied with the answers they got, or rather, didn't get, to all these issues and unanswered questions. Most of the time, the church leaders had been completely unaware of a lot of the information out there about the church and simply dismissed it as anti-Mormon lies and deceit, or they'd encouraged the person to pray more, read the scriptures more, and stop doubting. Others quoted the church apologist in response to issues without actually answering the question itself. And so I'd come to my own conclusion that nobody, and especially not any of the church local leaders, could say anything that would make me change my mind. Regardless of the experiences that I'd heard from others, I knew deep down in my heart that I knew what I knew. It was my decision. And why should I even talk to a stranger about it? So that is why I chose not to approach anyone at church about it. Probably for the best. (laughs) I don't recall in detail about the exact timeline for the following events, but in the meantime, my husband and I moved home, so I was kept busy packing and unpacking and preparing for the birth of our second baby. So I pretty much had my hands full for the next, well, I've had my hands full ever since, really. During this time, I still kept up with the online support groups and continued to research all the issues I had with the church whenever I could get the chance. Now, I eventually did talk to my husband about how I no longer believed the church to be true. I agonized over it so much, but I couldn't keep something so big to myself, and I eventually worked up the courage to bring it up with him, maybe around 12 months after I initially started down the rabbit hole. That's a long time. My biggest fear was that he would want to leave me now that I no longer believed the church was true, as was the case with a lot of other people in the support groups I belonged to. The conversation we ended up ended up being a lot better than I anticipated. I think it was a big shock for him, but he handled the conversation really well and reinforced that he loved me for me and chose to marry me because he loved me, and he didn't marry me because of the church. This was a huge relief for me and helped dispel a lot of my anxiety. Oh, that's so good and such a relief because, yeah, we have heard lots of stories where the person wants to choose the church over their marriage because their partner loses belief, which is really sad. 
Having said that, perhaps I was a little naive to think my husband would want to listen to all this new information I had learned. I desperately wanted to share everything with him, but after a few, shall we say, heated conversations where I would bring up an issue and it would end up in an argument, it took me a little while to learn and accept that my husband was not ready to hear what I had learned and I couldn't force him to listen. I found this really hard to deal with initially, especially because up until that point, he, actually we, had been largely inactive. But when I told him that I no longer believed, it seemed to push him into becoming more active in the church, which I found really challenging and frustrating. Looking back now, I can understand a little bit how he must have been feeling, and I recognize that he responded this way out of fear. Mm -hmm. In the church, as a Mormon, you have your whole life mapped out for you, every step along the way, from the time you are born. You get blessed, you get baptized. If you're a male, you get the priesthood. You get your patriarchal blessing, you serve a mission, you marry in the temple, you pop out lots of Mormon babies, and you live happily ever after. So I can fully appreciate that by me no longer believing in the church or any of its teachings, it kind of changed the game a bit. I do remember one particular incident that happened soon after I let the cat out of the bag. I knew my husband was struggling with his newly apostate wife, and I knew he was talking to a friend at church about it, which I was fine with. And I was fine with having the missionaries over for dinner at our house, if that's what made my husband happy. The one condition I did have was that I, I was asked first, and that the missionaries were made aware that I would not participate in any lessons or discussions about the church, nor would I participate in any prayers. One evening, we had an unexpected visit from the stake president and the bishop of the local ward. I was not thrilled, but my husband insisted he wasn't aware of them wanting to pop around and that he hadn't asked them over. I remember feeling so uncomfortable and incredibly mad and upset, but being a person who hates confrontation, I sat there quietly and gritted my teeth and listened to them talk. At one point, one of them turned to me and said, Now, I hear you've been having some struggles with the church recently. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask? I was so upset, all I could manage was to mumble, no, and refuse to say anything more. After they'd left, my husband once again insisted that he hadn't asked them to come over and that he hadn't spoken to them about me no longer believing the church. I believed him and suspected his church friend must have had a word with the bishop about without my husband's knowledge. Either way, I remember feeling so incredibly upset and hurt by it all. It felt like my privacy had been violated and I was mad at myself for not having the guts to be more assertive. Oh, I mean... I totally, like, I get this, and I feel like this is a common thing in the church. There's a lot of, I will, I'll call it gossiping. It's talking behind people's backs and talking about their, how active they are, or, you know, what you can do to bring them back to church, and talking about their problems, you know? So I totally, totally get this. So unfortunately, but perhaps understandably, because my husband and I were in such different places, the whole church issue drove a bit of a wedge between us emotionally. We essentially agreed to disagree on the subject of religion, and it became quite a taboo topic for many years. So I guess there are a few more things I wanted to share about this particular period of time, which would have been around mid-2011. I was diagnosed with postnatal depression shortly after the birth of our second child, which really didn't help the equation. Here I was, recently found out my entire life was based on lies, my husband wasn't interested in hearing what I wanted to share, I had a demanding newborn and a really active toddler, we had moved home and now lived half an hour drive away from my mother's group friends, so I was feeling physically isolated and emotionally isolated. 
Life was just really, really challenging at this time, but despite all of this, I was still positive that I had made the correct decision about the church. Life did eventually get better, but it took some time and plenty of challenges along the way. I found myself going through a wide range of emotions after leaving the church, much like the seven stages of grief, shock and denial, pain, anger, depression and loneliness, and then the upward turn, reconstruction and working through, and acceptance and hope. Now it's useful to remember that the stages of grief are not linear or neat. Everyone works through grief differently and in their own way. Some stages may get last longer or shorter than others, and you may find yourself jumping between the different stages in a seemingly random fashion. And you may even miss some steps altogether. Our marriage remained rocky for quite some time. We had our ups and downs. Now, I'm usually a great fan of roller coasters, but this was one roller coaster ride I really didn't enjoy all that much. The plus side is that through all of this, I learned an awful lot about myself, and so I wouldn't say it was all bad. My husband and I have currently been married almost 12 years now, and we have become so much stronger for all the challenges we faced along the way. I worked through my transition out of Mormonism, I think, really quite well, all things considering. I didn't turn into a wild child, although I certainly, I've certainly enjoyed experiencing new things that I would have never experienced otherwise. I was mindful of my husband and not wanting to overwhelm him too much with a whole heap of lifestyle changes all at once. When I had finally accepted that he wasn't ready to hear what I'd learned, and the worst possible thing I could do was try to force it on him because that would only push him further in the opposite direction, I realized that the best thing I could do was to be the happiest version of myself I could be and show him that I was still very much the same person who just had a few different beliefs. I may have a coffee or a drink of wine every now and then, but I was conscious to not overdo anything that might upset him or make him feel uncomfortable. I learned to respect that he still chose to believe in the church and I supported him whenever he wanted to go, although much to my relief, he stopped going so often and eventually stopped going altogether. Something that I haven't yet mentioned, which I wanted to talk about, is resigning from the church. Now, I know not everyone feels strongly about resigning from the church or having their name removed from the church's records, but for myself, this was something I really wanted to do from the moment I realized it was all false. My reasons for wanting to do this was because, one, I did not want to be associated with an organization that was based on lies and was not honest with its members. Two, I didn't want the church to count me amongst its membership. And three, I knew that while I remained on the membership role, I would be counted as inactive and that the local members would attempt to reactivate me. And four, I knew the church wasn't true and resigning my membership was a way of showing everyone that I wasn't going to change my mind. It wasn't just a phase I was going through. I was done. Soon after I told my husband that I no longer believed in the church, I broached the subject of resigning my membership from the church. However, at that time he asked me to wait and I respected that. I knew that it was a huge change for him to adjust to having a wife who no longer believed. So I left it at that for the time being. Sometime later, six months perhaps, I had been really trying my best to move on from the church and the whole having my name removed thing still played on my mind. I firmly believed that the church was false and I no longer believed its teachings and I didn't want to be associated with the Mormon church in any way, shape, or form. I felt like this was the last thing holding me back from moving on from the church. And I think my husband eventually noticed this because he basically said to me that he recognized how much it meant to me and that he felt, as did I, that until I had resigned, it was going to be really difficult for me to move on and that he was okay with me going ahead and resigning. Not that I felt like I needed his permission to do so, but I was just really trying hard to keep the peace between us and not rock the boat too much more than I already had. 
I knew that I had made things really difficult for him, and it pained me that I had caused so much grief and tension in our relationship, and because I loved him, I didn't want to hurt him any more than I had. So I think this is really great that he recognized that and then gave you the go-ahead, but I also just want to say that even he was hurt by your by your decision to leave the church, but you were just being honest. I mean, wouldn't it have been worse if you had just let this fester inside and you just kept going to church and faking it and not being honest with him? I mean, sure, he was hurt, but I think you did the right thing and that wasn't your fault, in my opinion. So around this time, we were planning to move to New Zealand from New Zealand to Australia, and I saw this as a perfect opportunity for me to cut all ties to the Mormon church and start afresh in a new country where nobody knew me and no one knew my background, and I could start reinventing myself. So I sent in my resignation letter, which was actually an email. I followed the process on quitmormon.com. Oh yeah. And because I'd listened to enough people's experiences of resigning from the church, I knew to expect a letter in the mail stating that it was a local matter to be processed by the local church leadership and something about a 30-day wait in case I would change my mind about having my name removed. As if. (laughs) The letter also outlined that by resigning my membership, it not only removed my name from the records of the church, but that all the blessings I had received as a member, so baptism and sealing in the temple, would be canceled, null and void. Yeah, I remember when I um, when I resigned, I remember reading that and I got that little bit of fear, like, oh, yeah, those are going to be canceled. And then I was like, okay, but they're all fake anyway. So <laughs> I can't quite remember exactly who contacted me from the local ward, but when they did, I told them to waive the 30-day waiting period because there was no way I was going to change my mind. And so that was that. My official letter of resignation arrived in the mail eventually, just in time for our move to Australia. It was perfect timing, and I cannot begin to tell you how much of a relief it was to officially no longer be a Mormon. Now, I've heard some people talk about resignation from the church not being a big deal to them when they left, and why should we play their game when we no longer believe that the church has authority over us, which is a fair point. For myself, however, this was a really important step, and it really helped the healing process. Navigating a marriage where one spouse leaves and the other remains in the church is not easy. It's definitely been a roller coaster ride, but despite the odds, we've grown closer and much stronger than we ever were. I know for myself, I tried really hard to reassure him that even though I left the church, I was still the same person. I was still a good person. I still had good morals and values. And a lot of our life goals were still the same. I wanted to show him that I could be happy and fulfilled without the church's influence in my life and that the church did not have this monopoly on happiness, which as Mormons we're taught to believe. I won't say the following years were easy by any means, but patience paid off eventually when two years ago my husband said to me one day that he wanted to resign his membership from the church, oh, which I hadn't expected at all. And I was over the moon about it, of course. I won't go into detail about my husband's reasons for leaving the church officially because that's not not my story to tell, but I will tell you that him resigning from the church was an amazing step forward for us. Leaving the Mormon church was by far one of the greatest decisions I have made in my life. It has been a journey of challenges and heartache and grief, but it has also been a journey of enlightenment and knowledge and incredible personal growth. When I left the Mormon church, it was as if my eyes had been opened to reality after having them shut for so long. I could see life for what it really is, a wonderful adventure in this beautiful and exciting world. 
The process of undoing my Mormon self has been long and slow, and a process that I feel will be lifelong. It has been so incredibly liberating to discard the parts of myself that don't fit my authentic self and build on the parts of myself that feel right. I have learned to be patient and kind and loving to myself for the first time in my life. I have let go of guilt and fear. I have so much more confidence in myself and in my own strength, which was with me all along. As difficult as my journey out of Mormonism has been, I no longer hold any resentment. The experiences I have been through have shaped me into the person I am today, and I actually really like the person I am becoming. It has enabled me to view the world through a wide variety of different lenses, to be able to relate to and understand so many different people from so many different walks of life. I truly believe I am a much better person without the Mormon church than I ever was when I was Mormon, or that I would be had I never left. Ugh. And that is the end of Sarah's letter. Um, I feel very honored that you sent that whole thing to us, Sarah, and it was incredible reading it. And I have to echo your statement there at the end. I truly think I'm also a better person. I think that the Mormon church was not good for me, and I don't think it's good for very many people. And it is not easy to leave, but I think it's worth it. Um, so thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you all for joining me for this three-part little mini-series. And um, we'll be back shortly with more of your stories. Keep sending them in. You know we love to hear them. Talk to you later. Bye.